If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen then, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. God in heaven, help us with these hard words, words that don't fit with our culture. Uh, they, don't, they don't sit well with us sometimes, and, and many of us have had bad experiences where these words have been used to justify those experiences. So help us today, Lord, to, to forgive those who have sinned against us and to hear the pure milk of the word. Lord, to receive the tradition that the apostles have handed down as they received it from Jesus in this moment. And most of all, Lord, grant us to be part of your pure church that keeps your commandments. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach us your commandments. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to everyone uh, tuning in online. It's good to see everybody. Did you hear the words of the song that we sang earlier? I'm going to read them. This is like a cultural moment, an artistic moment for me, right? Like taking a Cezanne or a Monet and saying, look at that. We said, we sing this, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. That's what this passage is like, isn't it? Even when we're stiff-arming a process, stiff-arming God, we don't like it, get away from here, what are you doing, God? Even in those moments, what? He's working. He is working. Tonight's lessons, all three of them, believe it or not, even Ezekiel, they're about the church. I like to think there's less discontinuity between Old and New Testament. Just That's a little aside we can talk about later. It's easy for us Americans, namely because we're, we're part of a secular lineage. If you think about the Reformation, 16th century, you know, to get all these warring city-states to agree with one another, they had to take God out of the equation. And we, for better or worse, are inheritors of that tradition. So we're a secular nation. We're largely Protestant and largely evangelical. So for a secular, and, and I know those two things don't make sense, Protestant, evangelical, and secular, but trust me, stick with me, it's there. For a people who are largely secular, Protestant, and evangelical, it's easy for us to think of the church in two primary ways. One, this. This is the church, and it is. The local body gathered around word and sacrament or, or however your local Protestant evangelical, we make the decisions. We're the deciders, not anyone else. So one, but two, we tend to think of the church as that invisible group of people who have all put their faith in Christ. So either the local church or this big group, this almost kind of an idea that we really can't put any definition to. And, and both of those are true. The church is not less than that, but the church is also so much more than that. So we tend not to think of the church as a living body 
as a living group of people that has persisted by God's grace, by His favor, by His will, His providence and wisdom, a body that has persisted throughout the ages, throughout history, and that has been passed down from generation to generation. We talked about St. Bartholomew a couple of weeks ago, didn't we? And we talked about how the apostles, imperfect as they are and were, that they are our fathers in the faith. And we hear this of a sort of father moment as Jesus is explaining to the apostles how to conduct their life together. And so we tend not to think of the church as this body where the faith has been handed down from generation to generation to generation, et cetera, et cetera. That's where we get our word tradition. It's from a Latin word, traditio, or in my best uh, church Latin impersonation, traditio. Tradition. It means we hand it down. We pass it down. Now, we have many fathers and mothers in the faith. This is where I like to bring in those Old Testament folks. We've got Moses, the one who saw God, God's backside, but he saw God. He heard God proclaim himself in front of Moses in his presence. We have Hannah and Rachel and Rebecca and Rahab, the prostitute that helped the Israelites get into Jericho safely. We have Tamar and Ruth. We have all these women of the faith, the Blessed Virgin Mary. We have all these fathers in the faith, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the literal patriarchs, and Priscilla and Aquila and Timothy and Paul, and specifically in our Anglican heritage because the church, yes, the church is that group of people who put their faith in Christ. Yes, the church is that local expression of this group of people, but it's also this this family that's been handed down from generation to generation. And in our Anglican family, if you think about the church that sprung up in the British Isles, not just in the Reformation, but even before that, believe it or not, believe it or not, people love Jesus before the 16th century. Sorry, I'm, going, I'm, I'm on this kick right now. Just go with me. But we have these Anglican fathers and mothers in the faith. Hilda of Whitby, who presided over the Synod of Whitby. We've got St. Patrick. Everybody knows and loves him. He's got a big day in March, and don't forget about it. There's St. Patrick. There's St. Columba. There's Bede the Venerable. We, did you know we have a uh, a wonderful young man named Bede in our very church. There's Bede, there's St. Cuthbert. There's all of these wonderful people. And today I want to draw our attention briefly to St. David of Wales. He's the patron saint of the nation of Wales. And I I give all that to say, I I want you to see the church as this, this handed down group of people, that it does have a lineage, it does have a connection, because what Jesus says is important, and we'll, we'll draw from that. But two, I want you to hear, this is what St. David used to tell his monks. He would say, do the little things. Do the little things. St. David was known for having monasteries, and his monks built their cells out of stone, and they were in the shape of what? Do you, does anyone know? They were in the shape of beehives. Can you believe that? They were in the shape of beehives. They ate bread and water, some herbs with the bread, nothing else. They didn't own anything. They had everything in common. St. David's story is is really fascinating. You should look it up. I won't give you too many details about it, but really miraculous. But he said, do the little things. And tonight, friends, Jesus' words describe an opportunity for us, the church, to do the little things and to do them well. 
Now, what are the little things? Well, it's the subject of Matthew 18, 15 to 20. Now, let's just, let's just name it right now. How many of you had, like, you know, anxiety when you, when you started hearing the words of this passage? I, I have it in big blue letters. See, my notes mostly are, are salamander, not black, but salamander. But in big blue letters, I have, let's just take a moment and say, at least in our day, the church has not practiced this particularly well. Doubt in adverse ways. It just is. I don't think anyone meant any harm, but it just is the way it is. We've had a hard time with this. So I want you to know, as I preach this to you, I do so with fear and trembling. I do so with, with please God, humility, but knowing that we're trying our best. What we see here, as Jesus explains how to resolve disputes, is a series of mutual corrections in ever-expanding circles. Meaning if someone sins against you, you go right to them. This is in our membership covenant, by the way, here at St. Bart's. So if someone sins against you, you go to them and you tell them their fault. If they don't acknowledge that or repent of that or at least come to some sort of agreement with you, then you go get another person or a couple of other people. So notice the first thing you don't do is what? It's what we like to call create a triangle. Hey, I'm mad at so-and-so, so I'm going to tell that guy. Nothing to do with it. In fact, you've brought that guy into an already unstable relationship, and you now are spreading anxiety throughout the church, throughout this living organism. So we've got this mutual correction in expanding circles. So again, all of this is done with great care, with great concern, not haphazardly, not lackadaisically, with humility, gentleness, and patience, as St. Paul would say. And then lastly, if the person is still in open sin and they will not receive correction from, from you, an individual, or from a small group of you, then you go to the church. What does that mean? Well, usually in our context, being Anglicans, you talk to someone in leadership. So you'd come to, to Chris or me or Chris or Chris. <laughs> Just kidding. Come to Chris or me. So, now, notice what the passage does. The why? Why is that so? Well, friends, the goal is the salvation of the offender. So now you can imagine that we, we may not be talking about, you know, they told this joke and it really hurt my feelings. That's important. Talk to each other about it. But usually the church doesn't get involved with that. We're talking about some pretty weighty matters of sin when the church gets involved in sort of helping bring about this mutual forgiveness. So the goal of all of this is the salvation of the offender, meaning we want to help them to live in communion with God and with other people. But notice what Jesus says. These, guys, these are hard words, and we don't like hearing hard words. We're Americans, dadgummit. We're privileged. We got our stuff together. We don't need Jesus telling us put them out of the church, I'll just go start my own dang church, right? Let's just say it. That's what we do. I love America, but we got some issues. It's like Festivus. <laughs> the, I'm airing my grievances. If you watch Festivus, you young guys. Okay, but look what Jesus says. Verse 17, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church, and if he refuses to listen to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. That's not a good thing in this scenario. We're all Gentiles here. 
We're all friends. But that's not a good thing. He's saying, put them out from your midst. St. Paul says a similar thing about sexual immorality in the church at Corinth. He says, let them be to you as a Gentile and tax collector. And he says, another place, I've handed them over to Satan already. These are the fathers of our faith. This is our Lord and Savior saying this. Let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Why? Of being separated from the church, or the word we use is excommunicated. We want the offender to see how real this is. Now, Jesus adds to this. Well, first, let me say, not only does Jesus want the person to be reconciled, he also wants sin to be stopped in the church. A little leaven leavens the whole lump, right? Now, we think about Ezekiel. I love this passage that Bill read, Ezekiel 33. Oh, Ezekiel, our man, our man, our watchman on the wall. Look at verses 7 through 10, pages 4 and 5. God's given him such a difficult task. Israel's already been invaded. Jerusalem's not quite yet sacked, I don't believe, by this point. But people are already in captivity. And he says, so you, son of man, I've made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Let me just, let me just cut to the chase. Those who have been set apart, not, not above you or below you, but Chris and I have been set apart, and others who are ordained, been set apart to help give order to the church of God. So we are accountable for you. We're not responsible to you, but we're responsible for you. Meaning, we have to, we have to know, we have, to know you. we have to do our dead level best effort to help you move towards holiness. The love of God never changes. Think about the sun in the sky. That, that bright light, it stays, this, it's constant. Now there's going to be clouds or whatever, but just go with me. The bright light, it does not change. That is the love of God. But your behavior can change. And if we, someone comes to us, you know, you've done the process, the one, the two to three. Now we're in the process and you're saying, I don't want the Son. I don't want the love of God. This is what I want. I'm declaring it. We have, have to make things serious there. It's, it's not necessarily the reason people get into ministry, is it? It's not warm and fuzzy. But it's part of our Lord's instructions. And it's because we've been made watchmen, just like Ezekiel. God wants to stop the spread of the sin in the church. And at the end, friends, it's, it's incumbent upon us, because this is definitely not part of our American culture right now, it's incumbent upon us to teach and for you all to remind each other and remember that you are responsible for your choices, not only in this life, but in the next. And you will be accountable to God. So we have to model some sort of accountability on earth because there will be consequences in heaven. Just after this passage, Peter says, hey, Jesus, how many times am I supposed to forgive my brother that sins against me? Seven times? Because Peter's like, here's the bar. I'm going to aim above this. And Jesus says what? No, I tell you not seven times, but 70 times seven. That means literally infinity or we won't be forgiven. That's at the very end of the parable. It's hard for us, again, as secular, 
Protestant and largely evangelical Americans to hear these sort of conditional sayings from Jesus. But it's true. And we remember what St. David said, that, that we just need to do the little things constantly. Obedience matters because communion with God matters. Not obedience because, well, God won't love me unless I do this. That's not love. The sun shining down on you does not depend upon the things that you do. God's love for you never changes, but obedience matters because it moves us in the direction of the sun. It's like we talk about with the spiritual disciplines. It puts us in the way of grace. Obedience matters because obedience is choices that help move us towards being more fully human, to behold God more, to become more like him. So friends, take the words of St. David of Wales to heart. Do the little things. Obey God, love one another, and be patient and kind and humble with one another. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.